and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast. Now, over the last few weeks, we've had a few calls from both local and international landlords um, asking us for some help with some property-related problems in their business. And whilst we were trying to unravel them and find solutions for them, it reminded me of a presentation that Paul had put together, which was called The Top 20 Mistakes That New Property Investors Make and How to Avoid Them. I thought that would be a perfect theme for a podcast episode. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, Paul has spent many years mentoring new property investors all around the country and will often see similar mistakes made. So he's put together this presentation, hopefully to help some of you that are listening that are maybe new starting out or some of us that are a little bit more experienced that also have challenges along the way. And we're going to kick off with number 20. So number 20 of the top 20 mistakes that new property investors make is leaving their job too early. So over to you, Paul. Hi. Um, I think one of the things that I came across, I did some coaching and mentoring on the back of a training program. So people do training programs, which is all fine. And they literally do their first couple of deals and getting ready to hand in their notice and then get a little bit stuck as to when they do leave their job, they are shocked in the fact they can't get a mortgage, even though the broker says you actually don't have to show proof of income, but it's very, very difficult to get a mortgage. So I always recommend that they should build a portfolio first before sort of leaving their job as it were. And the other thing is that there's quite a few networks within their organization that have to raise money from angels or investors. So stick it out for as long as you can until the income builds up going forward. All right. So number 19, a mistake that investors or new investors tend to make is not saying no, I guess. They need to start to get used to saying no. So tell us a little bit more about how that works. Well, I think, I mean, in the last few weeks, one of the calls that we had, if remember, was one of the um, landlords that lived overseas, I think they were in Hong Kong, and they asked their builder for a whole bunch of stuff to be done. And uh, the builder came back with costs and recommendations, things like that. And I think he said yes to just about everything. <laughs> so when we walked into the property, I mean, it was a small four bed and it had CCTV, it had the most expensive this, that, and the other, all stuff that just wasn't really necessary. So I think generally speaking, although we're quite eager when we're starting and we're keen to move on, I think one of the important things is just to say no to just about everything that you're asked, which actually buys you some time. You can always change your mindset. You know what? Maybe we go ahead and do that. I know in our own investing and, and development stuff, I mean, we stretch things out a little bit because we want time to think, is this going to be the right thing for the people that are going to be staying there? Are we going to get a good ROI? So I would say this is very, very important. Just say no. And if anything, change your mind afterwards if you think it's a goal. Okay. So that's number 19. So number 18, top 20 mistakes, shiny penny syndrome. 
which I see so many people having this as a bit of a mistake. So run through what you've experienced with your mentees and so on about shiny pennies. Well, you know, people come to Stoke, they, they, they come to Crewe and they want to do everything all at once. You know, we've spoken to people who are either starting out on the development road and they want to do commercial conversions the week after they've done HMOs <laughs> and two days before they've done a string of vitalettes. And again, people get really, really excited and that's absolutely fine. But we always say try and focus on particular yeah. areas. Um, but I think the main thing there is sort of stick to your main strategy, make that work, earn some money off that before moving on to the next. I think Stoke and Crew has loads of opportunities, commercial flips, sourcing, bytelets, HMOs, and you know we've done most of those ourselves over a span of 10 years as opposed to 10 weeks that other people try and do. Yeah, for sure. And we only recently drove past a property in Crewe earlier this week where a investor had never bought a buy-to-let before, never really done a deal before, but decided to jump in on a commercial conversion. And sort of years later, the property is still kind of half finished, just sitting there. So, you know, no doubt people do run into problems when they just haven't really had that from the ground up experience. I remember doing our first buy-to-lets you know, you're a little bit hesitant and nervous, but you take the step. Then you do your first HMO. Again, you get a bit hesitant and nervous, but you take the step. And I think our philosophy is definitely sort of steady eddy and to follow a bit of a system and a process rather than jumping in for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Although Absolutely. it's not that exciting doing it that way, is it? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like watching paint dry sometimes, but at least you're going to get a decent wall at the end of it. For sure, for sure, for sure. Okay, so we are now on number 17. So top 20 mistakes, number 17, the best deals are at auctions. Is that right, Paul? Yes and no. Yeah. And we, we've never actually purchased at a live auction. Not in the room. Um, Not in the room. We, 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 we visited. We've actually been on camera a couple of times, I think. <laughs> but we've tended to stay away from all the excitement and bought either before or at the end of the auction. And I always see people rush to auctions and buy stuff. And I remember one particular story where, you know, they're, they're probably going to be listening to this podcast, actually. <laughs> they know who they are. <laughs> and they, they sourced the property from us. We did the refurb and it all went tickety-boo. And then the second property they purchased at auction, they didn't talk to us about it. And they had, what was that? problem with the flooring um red ash in the floor red ash in the floor yeah and they were on a bridge they had to pay five grand to get rid of the red ash and the bridge was extended there was more legals i mean all, all i mean it was supposed to be a flip and they spent about an extra 20 grand or something crazy like that yeah just uh, the unforeseen things yeah. that are that people naughtily really just hide and hide in the auction absolutely um, sometimes that's what auctions are for. So you do have to be really, really careful. And, and you know, they have these modern auctions and we always change the contracts yeah, on the modern auctions. Definitely. And I know some of the auctioneers are saying, you can't change the contract. We always say, yes, we can. Yeah. And yes, we will. This is what we need to see in there. And nine times out of ten, it's absolutely fine. So I think people need to look at auctions just in the same way they're purchasing the house, do all their due diligence, don't go in there blindly, don't get overexcited and overbid, 
get your builder across, make sure all the paperwork is as it should be, and do all the checks because if you don't, it can end up quite horribly. I remember when we bought a property pre-auction and do you remember the property on Kidsgrove Bank? I do, I do. We had some great JV uh, investors with us on that deal and um, we agreed it uh, pre-auction. So we gave the the vendor what they wanted effectively, which was at a price that worked for us and we're going to buy, renovate and and flip this property. So we'd already organised a joint venture partner to finance it and we'd organised the the purchase price with the vendor. But I still went to the auction just to make sure that, you know, it didn't accidentally get listed in the auction. And I remember sitting in the auction and it came up lot number 39 or something, whatever it was, Kids Grove Bank. And then the auctioneer says, unfortunately, or sorry, that that property um, sold prior to auction. And about four or five people, of which I knew a couple of them in the audience, were like so disappointed. And I thought, yeah, that's one we swiped away from the auction. So we definitely like pre and post. Not that it's bad to buy at auction, but it's just that don't believe the best deals are there and look out for the dodgy ones, really, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. So top mistake number 16 um, is mistakes made around revaluations. Yeah, and this is is so important. You buy a property, you spend 10, 15, 20 grand, or it's an HMO, maybe you spend 40, 50, 60 grand on upgrading it, and then you go for your revaluation four, five, six months later, and you leave a value to it. Yeah. No, you don't. I mean, that's like the worst mistake that you can make after investing in purchasing the property, renovating the property, and you're not going to meet the value. And you're not going to meet the value with information that's relevant to the value, like comparables, like the works that you did, like before and after pictures, because you probably rented that property, whether it's a buy-to-let or an HMO, People have moved in. You know what happens when people move in? They make a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Value rocks up and he thinks, oh, my God, I need to get out of this place real quick. Mm. And he'll just do equivalent to a desktop valuation unless you're there. And we've sort of been to valuation. We've tied it up. We've gone into people's rooms. We've hung up clothes <laughs> just to make it look half decent. Yeah. Must say that was pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so important to give the right impression for a value and people – take it for granted. They've done their homework, they've got their comparable, and they're going to get 150 grand valuation, and they shut when it comes back at 120 because they didn't meet the value with the pack. The other thing is, I mean, we've got a few tricks, and people should call us, we can't probably mention that, (laughs) because you gave us some values listening. But we've got a few tricks just to, um, influence is the wrong word, but just to get the value on side. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to remind us information that they may not find themselves absolutely right in front of their face. And I think a number of people, obviously, if you're based internationally, it is a lot more difficult to meet the valuer. But we've met valuers on behalf of our clients. Uh, No matter where you're investing in the country, if you've got like a letting agent or a sourcing agent or a representative or somebody that's working with you, you need to have that valuer met. And I remember being told time and time again, I mean, we've never missed ever revaluation um we just hold it that as uh, that importance level and they always get the pack i've chased valuers around a house before please take my pack one valuer used it as a doorstop to keep a fire door open which was rather disappointing but just i just wanted to note that post-covid we've probably done five valuations that have been backed up over covid i still get very nervous before the valuation paul's sort of cool as a cucumber 
And these are for larger properties that we've converted sort of from commercial to, to, to HMO and so on. And I've been surprised at how welcoming they've been to the pack, yeah. reading through the comparables. So we've put in some nice commercial comparables in the packs. They're reading them. They're taking notes of them. They're looking at which value are valued them, asking us why we use them and not used the current valuer. And they've been taking them incredibly seriously. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll have to hand them in an envelope to make it COVID friendly, but I mean, we've should. never missed. Yeah, as they should, because it is important information. It, it is quite a major bit of information. It makes us look more professional. Yeah. I think one one of the things that we should add is the flip side of that is that we do have some restraining orders against certain values. <laughs> Literally. Uh, who, <laughs> for some reason, despise Stoke, despise crew, for whatever reason, which sounds incredibly unprofessional. But we have a restraining order, and <laughs> yeah. we will not take them on as valuers. No. But there you go. Okay, moving on to top 15. So number 15, and the state is weak power teams. Talk to us about how you've seen uh, your mentees, or, you know, operating from a weak power team and the impact that has on their business. I think if I can talk to some of the recent conversations we've had from landlords who are overseas or out of the area. Sometimes it's difficult to tap into the power team in the area. And the power team is anything from your solicitor, your broker, which is should be fairly straightforward, through to your builders or surveyors on the ground, sometimes even your sourcing agent, if you're working through a sourcing agent. But one important thing is everybody needs to be in sync. And if you have a weak link in the chain, whether we were just talking about a valuer, you know, we're going to use this lender who specializes in HMOs. Yes, but they're specialized in HMOs that don't include a commercial valuation, which is what you actually want. So you gotta think about your broker. They use this valuation company. This valuation company isn't particularly good. So the, the power team is very, very important that they're in sync with your goals and your objectives. And a lot of people fall over on this particular one and engage the wrong type of person. I remember on our, on our property in Stoke, the big HMO we did in Stoke, if you remember, our normal value wasn't around. Yeah, I do. And we engaged someone who was a little bit out of town, and he was recommended. And he did his valuation. We said, well, you haven't got this bits of information there. Where's this? Where's this? Where's this? And what did he say? He, he, did, he didn't even send any photos no, either. No, he said, well, okay, fine, let me do them now. And it was so, <laughs> it was so unprofessional, so unprofessional. <laughs> Yeah. And it was a private valuation for us, thankfully. But, you know, it just goes to say, if, if, if one part of your power team lets you down, yeah. it could be the difference between getting the valuation you want or being able to purchase the property at the price that you want. Absolutely. I think some of the weaknesses I've seen in people's power teams is I've seen properties that are regular kind of two-up, two-down properties having an incredible amount of reports done on them that just aren't necessary drain surveys, structural surveys, when they're just not needed. Now, sometimes there is a need for those, but just overspending on stuff that's just not required because they're just hesitant on the ground because they haven't got someone steering them really in the right direction. And to be fair, I mean, we've been in the area for, for 10 years now, and we used to work through an agent um, wards in, in, in Salt when we first started. He gave us a good steer. Now a lot of people come to us 
but it's the people that don't ask questions. Yeah. You know, they just take it for granted that it's going to be absolutely fine. Go ahead and do their own thing. And, you know, we're, we're here. People are phone and call us. Email no, us. We're, we're happy to share our information on the area uh, because we want every investor that comes to Stoke or to do well. Yeah. And people have done it to us as well. Like you said, when we Perfect. got started, there was a couple of stars that really did help us out when we started on our investment in the area. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, number 14 is money in, money out. So the mistake is looking only for those unicorn money in, money out deals. Well, this is a classic. You remember we had a London investor come to Stoke. We saw something to him eventually. (laughs) Stoke was probably his third area of looking for deals. And the reason why he hadn't done his first deal was because he um, there was too much money left in. Yeah. And we found something where there was £6,000 left in the deal. Yeah. He had quite a nice part. He had a part of about a quarter of a million pounds. And he said, look, there's not, I'm leaving six grand in. I said, mate, you've got a quarter of a million pounds in the bank. <laughs> you know, you're all told your investment in this property is probably about £35,000 with a mortgage. £6,000 gives you a pretty good ROI. And we ended up surprising him and getting him a grant for £5,000. Yeah. So he had barely anything left in and he still has that property today and it still cash flows quite nicely. So um, sometimes, especially when they come fresh off a course, mm-hmm. they're blinded by this money, money out mm-hmm. aspect of things. And, you know, the reality is that anything over 20%, and I think you still can get 20% ROI, in Stoke or crew for the right type of property is very, very decent. Mm. I know that you don't get out of bed for less than 25%. <laughs> but, um, Usually starting with a three. <laughs> <laughs> even better, even better. But yeah, you know, money in, money out deals, you know, unrealistic in this market. And you should be looking at just getting a really good ROI. Yeah, and often the money in, money out, to be fair, sometimes they come a little bit by accident. You know, you've done your numbers, you've planned well, but then you get a great valuation and it just tips it over. Okay, the next mistake that property investors are making, which is number 13, is watching other people. Watching other people out there, seeing what they're doing, and probably comparing themselves to others. Well, I mean, how many people have approached us and said, well, we want to buy HMO because so-and-so has bought an HMO <laughs> and they're doing great. I yeah. said, really? What road is the HMO on? And we have told what road it's on. It's not even a road which is popular for HMOs. It's like yeah. out in the boonies. Yeah. I think, I mean, as great as social media is um, and, and promoting your activity and soliciting investors and, and, and JV parts and stuff like that, I think people exaggerate and I think people stare at it far too much and are influenced. Uh, I never forget, I was doing a mentorship with a couple. They were from uh, Oxford, I think, and their investment area was not too far from there. It was in Bista. And the lady there was incensed by the fact that a, another lady was talking about closing an HMO deal about 48 hours after she'd given birth. And she did a, an Instagram video while she was signing this contract with, you know, babies strapped to her. And it was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I said, come on, and that's just not realistic. But people just get influenced by watching other people and thinking it's either easy or they're doing better than they are. And it's just not necessary. And you then you then end up forcing a deal. I mean, how many deals have we seen or how many people we see in Stoke or crew actually pay over the odds just because yeah. they want to do a deal? Yeah. 
you know, crazy. To get their first one done. Social media is huge for that. And you do have to be really careful because every couple of weeks I see a sort of a post and genuinely know that that post is completely unfactual. But, but there we go. Okay, number 12 is I have to do my first deal with my own money before I then pro- um, approach a angel or joint venture partner. I think, you know, our, our, our much, I don't think we have to spend a great deal of time on this one. Just jump in. You don't have yeah. to wait for anything. Do your numbers. If the numbers works, if people come to this area and want to speak to us as to whether it's a good role or a bad role, whether, you know, their numbers are any good, they can just email us. We're happy to respond. But if the numbers work and you have someone who's willing to fund it for you, then go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Absolutely. Okay. Then we're on to top mistake number 11. So Paul has this one down as not appreciating what you have in your hands. So as a newbie investor, not appreciating the opportunities that that are there. Yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite ones. I mean, normally I do this presentation sort of standing up in front of a bunch of people. There's a picture of a bar of gold on the screen. And I mean, I love property. I know you do do as well. And people play around with it. They play Mm. around with it. I mean, we have turn lemons into lemonade and the whole i call it alchemy in the old days as you say people can turn lead into gold and people play around with it and not take it as serious as they should do yeah and you know i could spend all day talking about this this subject i mean property is such a great asset you know in the times 100 about 16 percent of the times 100 is, is property based has been that way for forever and a day so you know take what you have seriously Stock and grew great investment areas. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be here. We've been here for pretty much 10 years now and we're still finding deals. So, you know, there you go. Okay. So on to number 10. So we're halfway through the top 20 mistakes. So number 10 is newbies doing HMOs too quickly. Yeah. I mean, people always jump in. They're jumping feet first, which I, I love the enthusiasm, but... You know, they get a little bit greedy because they see the cash flow in HMO. Well, I'm going to make £150 a room, a four-bed HMO, and that's £600 cash flow. It'll take me three buy-to-lets to get there. Do the buy-to-lets first. Cut your teeth on the buy-to-lets. It's easier. You know, it's, it's, it's good practice before you get into HMO. I mean, sometimes even with our HMOs, we think, you know, it's, it's, it's like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, some others are like, fantastic but we built up towards that i mean our first eight two hmos right they were a disaster <laughs> remember that they're an absolute disaster wrong area wrong type of tenant yeah blimey i mean um but our buy to lets they're still ticking over quite yeah. nicely going here beep out of uh, out of the tenants and i think the two things that become a problem if you don't have the experience when you're doing hmos is the refurb We've seen disastrous HMO refurbs in Stoke and Crew, stuff without relevant fire regulations, fire alarm installations, and just general really poor put-together properties. So it's getting the build right, and that just comes with experience, and also getting the lending. So how to ensure that you get you know that right mortgage at the end of it if you don't have the experience already. Not impossible, but, I mean, we're going through some refinances at the moment and as established property investors, you know, the, the banks are pulling us apart and putting us back together again and looking under every stone. So starting out just to have that little buy-to-let portfolio, we found really, really helped. Okay, we're now counting down. So we're at top, we're on number nine, which is lacking discipline. 
I mean, what can I say about this? You've got to do things the right way. You know, I always say, say what you're going to do and then do what you just said. And um, I think on my signature, it says discipline is freedom. Yeah. If you do all the things you're supposed to do, whether it's getting your evaluations, meeting your evaluator, getting three or four quotes from builders, if you do all that stuff and do it consistently, then chances are you'll have a stress-free life when it comes to property investing. It's when you try and cut corners. Yeah. And, and when you sort of, you know, take advice from people who are not in a position to give you advice, take advice from people who have done it before you, people that know the area, rather than taking, taking a flyer. And, you know, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of, of sad stories. I mean, there, there's, you know, a house that we came across where it had been empty for either six to nine months. And when we walked in, it looked as if it was the day after the builder had finished. There was paint pots there. There was just rolls of paper there. And there was nowhere that property could have been rented. Mm. So we communicated with the landlord who wasn't able to visit the area and said, look, you need to spend another couple of grand in terms of tidy up the fixing up. There was some stuff that wasn't fitted properly. We did all that for him. And he had a group literally a week after they finished moving, yeah. you know. He just wanted to cut corners, he wanted to do as quickly as possible, think it was okay, but he had to wait nine months. Yeah. Because it just wasn't rentable. So I think this one is, is I think it's the same with any business, yeah. any sort of thing you do, you have the discipline and you stick to it and, and don't go off the rails, then you'll be absolutely fine. And I think, you know, my, my special saying, you know, we're in this to make money. Uh, we're not in this for a hobby. And rule number one for me is, make a profit either on the flip lump sum profit or every month in terms of cash flow on the investment and rule number two is not to forget rule number one mm-hmm. you know? yeah and that's 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 my key thing moving on to mistake number eight so paul on his screen at the moment has got a picture of a wolf um in a sheep sheepskin coat and it says the mistake is i love and trust my sourcing agent yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we did sourcing. And, we sourced for many you know, years. Our, 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 our values were that we are not going to source a property that we wouldn't buy ourselves. Yeah. And the reason why we, we didn't buy this particular one or these particular ones was because, let's say, they were bicyclists and we don't do bicyclists anymore. Yeah. Or it was in the wrong area. But hand on heart, we've never sourced a bad deal. And we, when they came to revaluation, it's come out below what we forecasted. No, for I don't think ever. No, really. no. I mean, there was, I, I, I remember a property that we sourced in Tungstall. And when we first moved to um, Stoke or started investing in Stoke, we were told to keep away from Tungstall. Yeah. And we should have done a little bit more due diligence because Tungstall was a great little investment area. There two or three roles that we should yeah. keep away from. But the prices were. The price were great. Yeah. And we, we probably should have, you know, done a little bit more due diligence to probably move into Tunstall. But we saw something in Tunstall. I remember it was towards the end of the refurb and it was like cheapest chips. I think we sourced it at some like 35, 37,000 pounds of investors, which is so cheap. I remember driving up in the morning just to have a chat with the builders that were there. They were doing the refurb and coming out of, of the house and looking across the road and a guy came out in his dressing gown about 11 o'clock in the morning and had a saucepan in his hand, a spoon. <laughs> Obviously, he just made some porridge and he stood in the doorway <laughs> eating some porridge. 
I remember I called you and I said, look, I know this is not the greatest road in the world, but please don't have our client to come up here in the morning <laughs> because it was... The funny thing about it, right, we said it would value up at about 60000 Yeah. It came in at sixty-two. They still have it. It still cash flows quite nicely. We spoke to the agent. Uh, I think that was Justin as well from Wards. We spoke to him and he, as we said, do you have anything on this road? He goes, yeah, we've got about 10 or 15 promises on this road. Yeah. So it rates, yeah, no problem. Opposite the park, people love it. Not the best road, but people absolutely love it. And it was a great deal. It was a great deal. But not all sorts of agents are like that. No. Not sort of no. all sorts of agents. They'll, they'll, they'll rent you something or sell you something, which is just horrible. You, and and yeah. our criteria for properties, will they look after the property and will they pay the rent? Mm. And will I get my valuation when it comes to refinance? And, and, you know, a good source saying will enable, ensure that happens. Yeah. But people, especially if they're overseas, oh, you know, the especially if they're overseas. I can share on international yeah sourcing clients and what they end up with after they've put all their and it's often cash into the deal yeah. what they're left with and they put them pass to us to rent and we're thinking this is this thing even finished yeah. um yeah. it's it's actually quite um it's a shame but there we yeah. go yeah. there's good and there's bad and everything okay moving on to number seven so um a mistake that newbie investors are making is uh, being scared to do their first deal yeah which is sort of the opposite of what we said before where we said that people are sort of too enthusiastic and yeah. jumping in and doing HMOs and then you get the other end of the scale where people uh, are scared to do their first deal. I remember uh, a lady from the Midlands and we, um, again, ST6, not too far from Tunstall. What was the area called? St. It was on St. Michael's Road. That's right. That's right. I can't think of the little, yeah. small little area. And it's just a, yeah, part of ST6 and, and we found a deal for her. And after, she had put in about 100 offers. I know. <laughs> and had no success whatsoever. And I said, yeah. it's impossible to put in that many offers and not have a success. And she was just a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous. And we found this property for her. And she did about, in two years, she did about six or seven deals. Yeah. Um, so. Just nerves. Know, yeah, absolutely. Jump straight in. You know, don't be uncomfortable. But always take good advice. Yeah. You know, good sourcing advice. Good local agent advice. Do your due diligence. Okay. Then moving on to... Another mistake is not becoming, I guess, not becoming a new version of you or sticking in the, the old non-property investor mindset. Yeah, I mean, this is so important. I mean, if you're serious about building a property business and you've never been in property before, you can't be the same person. Yeah. You know, you can't be the same person. You've got to think differently. You've got to act differently. You'll focus on detail. You know, if you're not a detailed person, you've got to get, you really get into the detail. I mean, this is so important. Your 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 attitude has to change. I mean, I remember. I mean, this was in Stoke and Crew, but I remember some guy wanted to invest in South Wales, and they were based in London. They wanted to build a portfolio real quick. You know, generate twenty grand a month worth of profits and yeah. a bunch of HMOs. And I said, well, how often are you going to go to the area? They said, probably once every three weeks. I said, okay, okay, that's not bad. You'll probably get to about three grand a month with that. <laughs> You just can't do that. Yeah. You just can't do that. You yeah. have to turn yourself into a hungry property investor. You can't just leave builders to get on with it and think that you give them a pile of money at the beginning and they give you a beautiful property at the end. You know, If you're trusting, you've got to be less trusting. You've got to really say, okay, fine, send me videos every week. You've got to you know, get up to the area when you can. You've got to go for the detail. You've got to get comparative quotes. I'm shocked how many people don't get comparative quotes with builders. Yeah. 
I mean, as if there's like one building here, you can't get comparative faults. It's done. Yeah, but there you go. Okay, so another mistake that newbies are making is on the comparables and the done-up values when doing their numbers. Yeah, this is this is one where where what people just don't do. They yeah. they they say, oh, you know, once I've one hundred fifty grand, I'll be okay. Or or the classic was an HMO. Someone did an HMO, converted a building to an HMO, and wanted to get a valuation of about five hundred fifty thousand, and it was a ten or eleven bed HMO. And I thought, okay, you know, then they told me where the area was, and when they said to me, I said, that's not even an HMO area. How the hell did they get to 500,000? And they just spoke to someone and said, yeah, I've got one around the corner for 500,000. Did no due diligence at all. You know, the valuation came in at just over half that. And it was sad, but I remember that. And our first deal, our first deal in Stoke on Beresford Street went wrong yeah. because I used a comparable two streets away, which was a completely different type of property to the one that we were buying on. We were like, you know, a not so salubrious um, student road versus a nice residential road. Yeah. And uh, we bought at 50,000, spent seven and a half grand on it, and the valuation came back at 50,000. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how terrible was that? Yeah. Uh, but we live to tell the tale, but we got our comparables wrong. We weren't comparing mm. apples with apples. And you learn your lessons on the 50 grand houses, not the 500 grand valuations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we have that sort of mantra I guess really in terms of just going steady Eddie yeah. and just steady Eddie going through the, the strategy. Totally. Okay. We're now on mistake number four. So we're counting down to the to the big uh, number one. But number four is that angel investors are not heaven sent. So talk to us about your experience but more so mentees experience with on the angel side. Yeah, I mean, when people come to the area, they have angels or JV partners that are supporting them. And the first thing I say, you've got to get on with them. Mm. You've got to get on with them. And I always say, bring them to the area. You know, let them see. Yeah, yeah, let them see what you're buying, them see what you're doing. If they're reluctant, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but you really want them to get into what you're doing. And I've had situations where people have paid 10% 10% money, all right, which mm-hmm. on the surface may not be great. Our rule is that, you know, anything over 5% is over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but they pay 10% money and uh, interest rates are 0.1%. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. saying... You don't need to. It's 100 times what the base rate is. Why would you do yeah. that? And they've just felt as if they were obliged to do that because the investor had the money. Certainly on some of the mentorships that I do, I go for a whole session in terms of how to work with investors for mutual benefit. It's supposed to be for mutual benefit. Yeah. So do you do diligence on your investors? And um, it doesn't have to be short term. It can be also long term. We've got some investors, thankfully, who are with us for the long haul and will leave them in for five years, which is, which is great. Yeah. Okay. So mistake number three is not having a plan. Yeah, yeah. Again, excitement takes over. And, you know, well, what happens when you do your first deal? You know, you know you're not going to retire on your first deal necessarily. So do you have a bit of a, a business plan, I suppose, for the next 12 months, the next three years, where you're going to buy a few properties? And again, we see people come to the area, they've done one deal in the area. And I said, what are you doing? Well, you know, this one 
he was okay, but it wasn't great. But I said, but what's your plan? I mean, Troy didn't come in to do one deal. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't too sure. And, uh, you know, there's that fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I always say, you've got to know your numbers, do your business plan, and, and, and then work your plan. Yeah. Work your plan. A lot of people don't do that. That's number three on the list. And you know me, I'm a bit of a planner. Absolutely. And I can actually be partial to running after a shiny penny or two or coming up with a new idea. And Paul Standers' line is, but it, is it in the business plan? No, Amanda. Okay, fine. Let's get back to the business plan. <laughs> okay, we're almost there. So top uh, mistake now, we're at number two, is don't believe the hype. Yeah, I think that's similar to the thing I said about social media and also the shiny penny. All that glitters is not gold. No. You know, I remember someone who, I think they were in Wales and they were going to buy a bingo hall. And I remember there's a big nightclub in Stoke and somebody was going to buy this big nightclub and convert it into flats. And I thought, great idea. I said, so how many bikes have you done? Well, I haven't done a bike yet. <laughs> I said, it is possible. But, you know, they just like the idea of it yeah. rather than getting down to the nitty gritty because, yeah. you know, the in thing was to do big conversions. I think it was a, a mutual friend of ours likes a phrase, Go big or go home. <laughs> well, I, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I think eventually you go big, but you've got to build up that way. And we always talk, when we're on training, we always talk about starting off at the bottom base of that triangle, yeah. doing some bicycles, then some HMOs, then some small commercial, then some big commercials and development. Yeah. But people think you can, you know, the pot of gold waiting at the end of the rainbow, and rainbow is like, you know, six foot long, and it take <laughs> you, you know, three months to get there. Definitely, definitely not. And the other thing, again, I always say that the people who are the loudest, empty vessels make most sound. And my view is that, you know, if you're doing okay, you're doing the right thing, generally speaking, you don't have a great deal to shout about. Yeah, keep your yeah. head down. Yeah, keep on. I mean, I, I think Paul joined Facebook about two years ago and he's probably got, how many friends have you got on Facebook? Two. Two. <laughs> no, I think he's got a few more <laughs> than that. But I remember saying, you know, we need to get on Facebook. We need to, like, get ourselves out there and get promoting and networking and so on. But Paul doesn't really subscribe to that. It's just get your business head on, get down to business. If you do a fantastic job, people will find you. And I guess what I've sort of now taken on that mantra as well in terms of just deliver, do a good job, and um, and don't make too much noise about it, unless you're on a podcast episode, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, before we get to number one, I mean, you know, if you look at some of the buildings that we we work with, you know, more more recently, some of the best builders, you know, we hadn't heard of, and they've just been doing their thing, steady yeah. eddy, on the quiet, doing a quality job, just delivering, yeah. either for themselves or for other people, yeah. and they haven't screamed from rooftops. The ones that have made a lot of noise. Yeah, they've got nothing, they've got nothing underneath. <laughs> they've got nothing underneath. Okay, so the big reveal, the number one top mistake that new property investors make is trusting those friendly builders. Don't trust them, people. <laughs> Don't trust them. And I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. We all need builders. You know, a lot of them do an absolutely fantastic job. But a lot of them don't. Yeah. A lot of them don't. I mean, I, I, I always remember we had a guy in crew who I was going around a crew with him, and a builder saw him on the street, stopped his car, and said, what are you doing? How long are you up here for? He said, I'm up here for a couple of days. He said, come on, we should have lunch. So I said, who's that? And he said, well, that's the builder doing the refurb on, on my property. I said, you're kidding me. 
I said, how long have you been up here? He said, well, this is my first year. I said, I've been here, time, I've been here for seven years. No builder, no builder has even sent me a Christmas card, never mind, <laughs> invited me to lunch. Yeah. I said, let me see his quote, right? And his quote was something like, I remember the, the, the figure, something like 23 and a half thousand pounds. And when I costed it based on what we would pay, 16 grand, right? So don't worry, you're buying, you're buying lunch, you're actually paying the bill, really. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of charlatans out there. There are a lot of great builders. If the builder is not local, yeah, then you need to, if they're out the area, think, why why is a builder who's based in Liverpool doing work in Stockport Crew? I think you know there was a, a spate of really real yeah, scams so many going people on. Yeah, ripped off by this yeah, one builder. Yeah, and he's based out of Liverpool. Also, you know, if you're out of the area, then you've got to, you know, watch your P's and Q's because you're out of the area, right? People say, well, they're not stole, they're not the price of labour here. Let me add on a few quid. Yeah. And, you know, Everybody's trying to make a little bit more where they can, good or bad, but some people really take advantage. Yeah. If you're out of the area, you've got a little bit more detail, speak to at least get a few quotes, ask to see their work, ask to speak to people that have done work for them. So people are phoning you, call us. You say, do you know so-and-so? No, I don't. That's an indication. If we don't know them, mm. then chances are they ain't good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amount of builders that names have been thrown at me, I've never heard of them. Mm. Never heard. What have they done? What have they done? Well, you know. Mm. And have they done HMOs as an example, or conversions, or are you using sort of the man in a van who might be great at knocking out a buy to let, trying to convert stuff to flats as an example? So you've got to get the right building team for the right job. I think that's always a mismatch that we see. What about what about the the subject that we used once, and uh, he did some drawing for us. And uh, doors. yeah, you put the door up, right? And <laughs> we could literally put our hands sideways on the door and leave it to get. Look, we could shake the tenant's hand in the room, put your whole arm under the fire door. Yeah. And, and mate, and what are you doing? <laughs> he, he was a bit pissed with us because we didn't pay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we didn't pay. Yeah, we're not even going to get the, when the HMO officer is going to ask me to take off every single fire door, buy a new fire door, refit the fire door. Yeah. But I guess we have to take responsibility ourselves in terms of maybe it was the wrong person, but I don't know. And the other thing I would say, never pay a daily rate. Never yes, pay a daily rate. Yes, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> We've got so many rate. stories about daily yeah, rate. Yeah. I mean, we, we got caught with that right at the beginning, a little. Yeah. Um, but day rate, I mean, why would we pay a daily rate? Some of that's supposed to take 30 days, we'll stretch to 60 days. You know, what that, what about the bills that says, I'm going to do you a day rate because it will work out cheaper for you? All right, okay. In your okay. dream. <laughs> no day rate, don't pay in advance. Make sure you get multiple quotes. And the other thing, right, is don't ask questions. Mm. Everybody says, when you say, what do you don't ask questions, how are we going to get the information? You've got to tell the builder what you want. Mm. If you ask questions, do you think you can split that and incorporate an ensuite on that side? Yeah, 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 no problem, no problem. So the builder's saying, yeah, no problem. I'm trying to make two grand for that, that normal cost, because you obviously haven't got clue. Yeah. Right. You don't. You, you don't ask. You tell them what you want. So it sounds. Yeah. As if you've done this before. Yeah, and you know how long it will take. Absolutely. Do you Absolutely. remember that scenario where um, one of your mentees was taking out a wall and replacing it with oh, steel? Oh my god! I'm a, oh, <laughs> six grand. They got chart. They were quoted six thousand pounds for taking that wall and putting the steel in. We said, like, obviously. 
you do need to get some structural calculations. You do need to make sure you've got the right guys working on the job. But the reality is it's sort of, you know, a day to knock it out and a day to fit it. We're talking about a weekend job here, really. I said, I don't see why it should cost us, but I said maximum £1,600. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, was, it wasn't in several crews and different, I think it was in Birmingham, but, you know, six grand. But And they thought it was okay? Yeah. Because why? People try it on. Yeah. yeah. They're out of the area. People try it on. But that's our number one. And, you know, that's going to be, after purchasing your property, the refurbishment is going to be your second biggest investment. Yeah. So you have to get this right. And that's yeah. probably more whites top of the list rather than dodgy builders because it's your second highest investment. Yeah. And people just get all excited and sort of take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. You've got to get this side right. You've got to get this side right. It impacts right. your revenue stream. If it's a poor job or a good job, totally. it impacts your revaluation. Totally. It even can impact licensing, the ability to get insurance, loads of stuff, especially if you're doing some of the slightly bigger, bigger yeah. transactions. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. So top number one. So we hope you liked that run through there. As I say, Paul's put these together, having mentored people all over the country and seeing the same sort of mistakes over and over again. So take those away, use them where you can, and we'll see you on the next episode. Certainly will. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.